Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It. Today I have Andy Cook of Tetra coming to us from Boston. Andy, how's your day going? Going great. Thanks for asking. How's your day going? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's kind of cold here in San Francisco, but it's bright and sunny and it's Friday, so I'm happy. So, um, all right, let's do this. So you're CEO of Tetra. What is Tetra and why did you start this business? Yeah, great question. Um, Tetra is a knowledge sharing and management tool. Uh, we basically give you a central repository to share all the things that a new team member, an existing team member would need to know to do their job um, and get the right decisions made faster. So that's everything from like, you know, the more obvious stuff, like what's the vacation policy? Like, do we have President's Day off? Um, to the more in-depth things that are company specific, like, hey, how do I extend a customer's trial for a customer success or support team? Or um, where's the asset for this marketing campaign that we ran, things like that. Um, and then we hook it up to Slack so that as people are asking those questions uh, in the context of a conversation, you can just pull in the answer right into Slack. Um, and that basically saves the knowledge keepers, the people who like know how to do all this stuff a ton of time, not having to answer the same questions over and over again. Interesting. Yeah, I think I, you were describing yourself as a, a wiki for uh, for new team members, kind of. Is that accurate? or? Yeah, so um, basically how we got initial traction, um, which is always a good uh, hack, I guess, is just to use the language that people are already searching for. Mm -hmm. um, so when Slack, you know, Slack blew up and then they launched their platform, I think in October, or it was December 2015, so it was about like three or four months after we started, um, we had been building this knowledge sharing tool, also known as a wiki. Um, you know, wikis are basically like really outdated and static often and are tooled more powerful. But um, we saw that all these companies were looking for a wiki for Slack. So mm -hmm. the easiest way to get customers in the early days was just to say, we're a wiki for Slack. Uh, and that's like how we closed our first 100 customers. But now the product's just so much more powerful that um, like it is a knowledge sharing and management tool. But you could call it a wiki. I like that that growth hack, though, of, of figuring out what people are searching for and use that as your your tagline and your messaging when you need to. That's that's pretty clever. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, it was a good way to get traction, and we still rank number one for Wiki for Slack. Um, so it's been like a really good acquisition channel for us uh, to grow over time. Are you still um, only on Slack, or, or are you beyond Slack or in addition to Slack? Are you on other channels? Um, so Slack was the first platform that we built on. Um, so the most momentum, but... Uh, the product actually works um, beyond Slack, too. You can sign up with an email address and invite uh, your team or anyone else via an email address and use it as a standalone um, knowledge sharing tool. Whoops. We'll edit that part out. It's okay. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> let me, let me, let me uh, back up. Uh, all right. So we started the first platform we built on um, was Slack. Um, that was just because they were so popular and basically their first the first chat tool to market. Um, and then about 18 months in, we actually um, added email sign up to the product as well. 
And that was because people kept coming to us and saying, hey, I don't use Slack, but I want I need a knowledge sharing tool and I want to use Tetra. Can I do it? Um, so now you can sign up with an email address, um, invite any team members you want with an email address, and then you can always bolt on Slack later, but you can use the product on its own. It's interesting. So you started before Slack launched, right? All right. You guys, or before they announced their app platform? Um, we started, yeah. So we started October 2015. We had been trying to build, um, or we had been building a product. Like we built a whole initial version and like got 25 or so customers to agree to use it, did a bunch of customer development, built the thing, gave it to them, and then only like one or two teams actually used it, um, mm-hmm. even though like we had talked to be like a lot of TV people beforehand. Um, so that was, we started in October around December. We were like, when we gave like the beta, I'll call it, um, to those teams, we we're like, all right, well, this isn't going to work. <laughs> like, obviously they're not going to use it. What are we going to do? And so fortuitously, uh, at the same time, Slack launched their platform. So we like watched the demo videos, looked at the document documentation, and then we went back to all those teams we were talking to. And asked them like, oh, well, what if we could take this thing that we're building and then hook it up to Slack? Would you use that? And the feedback we got was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I need. Like, can I sign up for that today? Like, how do I use it? So then we were like, "Uh, give us two weeks. So we scrapped the whole thing we had been building for like four months and built a new version 100% on top of the Slack platform in two weeks, launched it, and we got like 150 signups in two days. Wow, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's a good story of... It's both a pivot and an evolution, right? I mean, it's not a, a pure pivot. It's kind of like shifting focus slightly to to really capitalize on 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 a rocket ship that was you know taking off, right? Yeah, exactly. So you know the the core problem we were trying to solve was the same, which is how do you share knowledge within an organization um, so that people can work together better and faster and make the right decisions faster. Um, but the delivery mechanism for, okay, well, how do we get people to actually use the product? Like what is the hook that gets them to use it? That was like a pivot or an evolution. Um, so the, the advice I usually give to people is like focus on problems, not ideas. Mm. And when you focus on a problem that you really want to solve one, it, uh, drives you over the long haul where like, okay, well, even if like the specific way that we're solving this problem, like the idea we have is wrong, at least you're, you're able to solve the problem that you really care about and you're passionate about over the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like basically what we did. Did you have any concern about, you know, hitching your wagon to a single vehicle like Slack, you know, is that kind of a risk? Um, you live and die by the this success of the Slack platform or if they introduce their own version of this? I mean, I don't know. How do you process all that? Yeah, that's all good questions and um, all things you have to think about when you decide to build on the platform. Um, So for us at the time, the decision we made was, one, it's like we'd done some research on the Slack platform from what they had released already. And it seemed like they really wanted it to be an open platform from the beginning. So we were like, okay, well, at least for the foreseeable future, because they're trying to get more developers on Slack, they're going to keep this thing open. Um, So we were like, all right, it'll probably be open for a while. And we're basically failing 
up until this point. So what can we do to, you know, light a match and like kickstart the reaction and get it going? And the shortcut was basically to ride the wave of another company's platform, which was Slack. Um, and I think we were one of like the first 50 or so apps in their mm. app store. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge acquisition channel for us in the early days. Um, so that being said, um, you know, you don't want to bet the farm on a platform because they can always cut you off or they can build a competitor or they can acquire one of your competitors and, you know, you're in the dire strait at that point. Um, so that was one of the reasons and also customer feedback, but that was one of the reasons why we built beyond Slack and, um, you can like now sign up with the, for the product with an email address too, so that even if one of those things did happen, we at least have a product that can stand alone on its own. Um, and I actually wrote a blog post about this, um, probably like a year or so ago and I'll share that with you. You can share it with this too. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get the fundraising. I didn't mean to go down such a path of, uh, you know, platform and, and growth hacks, but, um, but how much of your business is, is today built on Slack or comes from, from Slack platform or, have, or have you really diversified, you know, away from it? Yeah. So for the first 18 months or so of, I'm trying to think of the timeline here, probably like 18 months, maybe a little bit longer. We were Slack only. You mm. couldn't use the product without Slack. It was impossible. You had to sign up with the Slack team. Um, so up until that point, it was about a hundred percent. Um, I haven't run the specific numbers recently on like what the split between Slack versus not Slack is, but based off of my gut, I would say it's probably still majority Slack, mm. uh, or people signing up with email and then adding on Slack later once they decide they want to use Tetra and they trust us and they'll authorize the Slack permissions to do that. Gotcha. Okay, let's talk about raising money. So how much have you guys raised? And um, was it uh, angel, friends and family, VC? What's your capital stack look like? Um, so the total amount we've raised to date is $929,000. Um, we did that in a few different phases. Um, the first phase, so the first six months, we self-funded the business ourselves. Um, and... I was lucky that my first startup was Aqua hired. Um, so they basically bought the talent from the team um, by HubSpot two years prior to starting Tetra. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I had also worked at HubSpot too and you know had a real salary and tried to live frugally to bank money. My co-founder did that as well. That's uh, where we got to work together for the first time. Um, so we both had personal savings, which allowed us, you know, probably I forget the exact amounts, but like six to 12 months, depending upon how lavishly we lived. <laughs> uh, we self-funded for the first six months. Then we launched the Slack version, um, which immediately got traction. And we basically realized like, okay, this is a much better idea than what we were working on. Um, so same idea, but much better delivery that people actually want. Um, so that's when we went out and raised a seed round and we raised $904,000 during that time, which I can dive into in a little bit. And then most recently, We've raised another 25K and I will be candid and transparent here. That's because we were going to go out of business um, and we raised like a, some bridge funding to get us to profitability, which we hit last month. Um, but that's the makeup of the total. 25K was the bridge that got you to profitability. Like if you didn't have that 25K, you guys would be 
not I would not be talking to you. Is that true? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's less dire than yeah. that because you know it was um, like we had some money left in the bank. We dramatically uh, slashed expenses over the previous six months. I put a little bit of my own personal money into it too. Yep. Um, but we were also growing revenue at the same time too. And we were making money like our uh, monthly recurring revenue was like around, uh, like 20,000 or so. Mm -hmm. And our burn was between like 27 and 30,000. So it was like, a fine line between we can get to profitability or we'll run out of money. So we raised the 25k as a buffer from our existing investors, and they're great, and they gave it to us, which um, I'm thankful for every day. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Okay, let's rewind the clock. So you guys, yep. you know, you you launched the app, wasn't working, people weren't adopting it. You then relaunch it on Slack. It immediately takes off, and so you use that momentum to raise that 900k. Um, how did you, you know, identify the investors? I, you worked at HubSpot, so was it all HubSpot mafia, uh, guys and gals that, you know, yeah. Yeah. So um, our very first investor was actually my former boss at mm. HubSpot. His name's David Cancel. He was the chief product officer, um, and I reported directly to him for a time because I was working on like a startup inside of HubSpot. So it made a lot of sense Mm. um, given he's like a five time startup founder. Um, So he was our first angel investor in. And the way that worked out is um, we had decided to raise money uh, like in the morning. And then we happened to have a beer scheduled later that day with David um, just to catch up and hang out. He had started, he had left HubSpot and started a company and, you know, we're going to like swap war stories and um, all that good stuff. So we went to his office, we were hanging out, we were drinking a beer, and then, you know, after like an hour conversation, he said, um, like, okay, well, if you guys like raise money, let me know. <laughs> and we were like, oh, well, <laughs> coincidence, we're raising money. Uh, you know, and he was like, oh yeah? And I was like, yeah, are you, are you in? And he was like, yep, uh, I'm great. in. So I was like, okay, how much? Because you always have to ask how much, right? Um, so he gave us his number. And then I just repeated back, like, okay, like you're committed for the amount, like first investor, boom, done. Um, so that one was like fortuitous where David knew me well. He had, he knew Nelson too. He had worked with Nelson at HubSpot for like four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and um, he trusted us and there was that connection. But I will say that uh, from my very first startup, Rentabilities, we tried to raise money from David and he said no. Mm. Um, so like that's one thing that I think is really valuable with fundraising is you kind of you kind of and this doesn't help like if you're trying to raise money right now but thinking ahead a little bit because you know startups are more or less a career or long term game yeah you need to build those relationships over time so that people can get to know you and see a pattern of execution and then when the time comes when like you need to raise money you already have that relationship and it's a lot easier than trying to raise cold yeah. Uh, yeah. So then from David, we had talked to Mike Volpe, who is the former chief marketing officer of HubSpot and now is chief marketing officer of Cyber Reason. Um, and we had got to know him a little bit at HubSpot too. So he had mentioned that he would be interested because um, he really believed, he really believes in wikis as a way to scale culture and communication inside of fast growing organizations. Hmm. Um, he had used uh, wiki heavily inside of HubSpot to do that. Um, and so we went back to him and, uh, he agreed to 
invest as well. And then um, he also mentioned that he could try to bring in this entity called the Boss Syndicate, um, hmm. which is a syndicate that Accomplice, which is a venture capital firm, backs in Boston. And it's run by TJ Mahoney. And um, the way it works is that Boston companies can get, if they get an angel investor in Boston who's considered a boss, there's like 40 of them, um, the boss can take your deal to the boss syndicate and convince them to come in. And that's like a 250K check mm. that comes through an angelist syndicate. So the whole idea for Accomplice is like, they have these bosses who are probably working with a lot of startups and vetting them. And so they're doing a lot of the due diligence and it's social proof where if you can get a boss then they, the syndicate will come in on the same terms. Um, so we got that too. So we had like 300 K or so out of the gate, uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. That's really interesting. The boss. And so are the, are the 40 or so bosses all or primarily ex HubSpot folks, or is it more diverse than that? Is this, Truly the HubSpot Mafia, or is it? Is it um, yeah. It's more, the boss syndicate's way more diverse than that. Um, so there are ex-HubSpot, um, ex-HubSpotters, so like David Cancel's a boss, Elias Torres, who's his co-founder of Drift, is a boss, um, Mike Volpe's a boss, but there's also others, too, who have never worked at HubSpot, like Wing Chen, Diane Hessen, Diane Hessen um, a few others. There's um, there's a list online, and if you're oh, yeah. a boss founder, you can check it out. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great program. I think it's really smart of them and it really helps Boston too, because there's not a lot of, um, like super angels here who can mm -hmm. write like a hundred K 250, 500 K check. Um, so it basically allows angel investors who are really helpful to like write those bigger checks. Yeah. I noticed accomplice just teamed up, I think with, um, with Angelus, right, to, to have this sort of uh, scout fund. I don't know if I'm quite doing it yeah, justice. Yeah, it's, but... um, it's called Spearhead. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the idea there, it's, it, again, super interesting. Accomplice is really um, innovative in this space. So what, what they've realized or what they're testing, I don't know how it'll pan out, but um, basically like current operators hang out with other startup founders a lot and swap stories and learnings and all that good stuff. And so the idea is like operators probably have the best insight or really good insight into who the who the best founders actually yeah. are, but they haven't had an exit or liquidity yet, so they can't invest. So Accomplice's idea is what if you gave like a fund to those operators so that they could invest in the other operators that they're friends with? Um, yeah. So it's like basically the people who are closest to the ground are the ones actually doing the investing. Um, so they just launched that. It's called Spearhead. I think they're still taking applications for it too. If you're an operator, um, it's definitely worth checking out. Did you uh, apply? Are you you're an operator? Are you? Uh... Good question. Um, <laughs> so I thought about it uh -huh. and I um, decided not to. And the reason being is that I have very minimal time beyond Tetra, and the yeah. time I do have, I want to spend on my life, like exercising or you know being out in nature. Hanging out with my fiance and my friends, um, all that good stuff. So, just adding another thing to my plate right now, given how busy I am, just didn't seem realistic. Yeah. Um, but maybe if we were further along and you know our team wasn't tiny and I wasn't wearing like fifteen hats, my thoughts might have been different there. Sure. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I think uh, someone made the joke to me one time that 
AngelList is like crowdsourced deal flow for AngelList fund, right? And it's kind of somewhat true, right? I mean, and, and I think Accomplice is another extension of that, right? Where, you know, you're kind of just putting out um, deal flow tentacles everywhere and uh, it's smart, it's smart. Yeah, I mean, it's it's smart. And like the other interesting thing is that these different mechanisms for raising money really open up the opportunity for people who normally wouldn't get funded to get funded, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like this time around when I raised money, it was a lot easier because I had worked at a well-known company that had had an exit. Yeah, uh, I'd also got to know the executives over time because I had the fortune of working on um, like a skunk work style project that was in front of the executives, um, constantly. So that was lucky for me, but like not everyone has that opportunity, um, you know, for whatever reason. And so like having a lot of different avenues, uh, and a lot of different viewpoints, uh, and people with different backgrounds investing money, I think is a great thing for the ecosystem. So let's finish up your round. So you had uh, David yeah. Cancel, Mike Volpe, a couple of HubSpot. Had HubSpot gone public at that point or, or, or not yet? Yeah, they'd gone public a year before. Okay, okay. So these guys are liquid and their stock is not locked up anymore so they can start. Did you see a rash of you know new money come in the, bar, the Boston startup scene after HubSpot went public and after lockup period expired? Was there a lot of, uh, you know, a brief window sometimes. I mean, sometimes you see this, right? There's this window of all these newly minted angels that start doing deals. Did you notice any of that? Um, I mean, not especially. Um, I mean, maybe I didn't notice because I was so busy. Um, I do know at, at HubSpot specifically, um, the, it's a very entrepreneurial company still, even with the size that they're at. And the founders are very bullish on hiring people who are entrepreneurial. Mm. Um, so the idea is like you can go work for HubSpot and this, this isn't definite, but like you can go work for HubSpot, do really well there, demonstrate that you're capable of getting stuff done and executing and that you're really smart. And then more often than not, the HubSpot executives will back you should you decide to choose to go start your own company. Like mm. they, they like people who are entrepreneurial and want to do great things and start companies. Um, so there, there's probably, I mean, if I went back and looked at the data, there's probably an influx of the HubSpot executives funding HubSpot mafia or ex HubSpotters. Um, and probably like a bit outside of HubSpot too. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, so Mike Volpe, David canceled the boss syndicate. Yeah. Um, then how'd you raise the rest? It was it just introductions from David and Mike, or did you, uh, you know, have to build a funnel and work a funnel, or was it more organic? You know. Yeah. So um, this is where the story gets somewhat harder. <laughs> um, so we had this um, like 300k, and we were like, oh, okay. Well, we already have 300k, and initially we were targeting 550. So we were like, all right, we're halfway there. Um, this is easy, right? <laughs> uh, you know, to say that with a grain of salt. Um, but so we are like, all right, well, uh, let's try to raise more. Let's try to raise like a proper seed round because we were 
trying to raise just like a small round to like pay ourselves higher like one maybe two other people yeah um, kind of like validate the idea more she's like all right well, let's raise a seed round so i came up with the number of like 1.1 million and then my idea was let's go to all the seed firms that exist in boston um we already have this momentum talk to them get like two in close it out and like keep the the cap table small um so we did that and we went to go talk to all the seed firms. Mike did intros for me and everyone got back to me. I did like probably over a dozen meetings in like a week or two hmm. and everyone said no. Um, and we were in this like funky spot where um, the amount that we were trying to raise at that point, which is like 1.1 million, one is like a weird amount. Usually like a institutional seed round is like 1.4 to two or whatever the upper bounds is. Or like at the time, like a pre-seed round was up to like 700, 750. So we were kind of in this no man's land of like bigger than a pre-seed, but smaller than a seed. Um, mm -hmm. So like no one could really get behind it. Um, so that was a mistake. Um, the other mistake too is that we basically had a prototype and like an idea, but not a lot of traction at the time. Um, so if I could go back and do it again, I would have just focused on angels exclusively at the beginning to raise the pre-seed round mm -hmm. and then attraction and then went back to the seed firms or I would have got all the angels in that we eventually got in and then gone to the to the uh, seed stage firms um, and tried to like raise a bit more money once we had the like 20 or so angels that everyone knew in but we like got the two angels jumped the gun went to the seed investors and didn't have the social proof that we needed to pull that off Interesting. So you would have either waited for the social proof or the traction in the product before really going and hitting seed venture funds. Is that correct? Yeah. And like the reason. So at the time, like we were we we had only been working on this thing for about six months and we had only been doing the Slack connected version for about a month and a half. Uh, so we didn't really have good answers to like, oh, well, what's uh, like, what do you do about uh, the platform risk here? Right. Like we hadn't really figured it out. We were just excited like anyone was signing up for this thing. And we didn't really have a good answer <laughs> yeah. around like, what is the product vision? And like a mistake I made. Uh, and I guess this is just me because I'm really honest and candid, which probably makes me not great at fundraising <laughs> is I just told the truth, uh, which was uh -huh. like. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't really know, but in my experience as a product person, the best thing to do is talk to customers, figure it out, like get their opinions, build, iterate, keep pivoting, and over time, like we'll get more clear on that. Uh, like, you know, like we don't have a roadmap. Like having a roadmap beyond a month is probably not smart because it's going to be wrong. Like we're yeah. literally going to be. So no one liked that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like even though everyone knows it's the truth, they don't want to. To hear that they want conviction um, yeah 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 so like the mistakes that we made um but it ended up working out um but there was also like once we realized like okay this um seed round idea is not going to pan out like it's not going to happen we can't get anyone in we were like all right let's just go back to our original 550 target raise it all from angels um and like we'll round it out that way. So at that point we had more than half again. So yeah, things got bad then like got optimistic again too. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then from there, like once we had the 300, we did um, an actual angel list syndicate. Mm. So Mike Volpe opened up 
his Angelist syndicate. Uh, the Boss syndicate immediately came in and funded 250 of Mike's Angelist syndicate. And I think we were targeting 275. So we were trying to get another 25K through this Angelist syndicate. Um, and we filled that up almost immediately. And again, that was, um, we had, we had done like some legwork to make sure that went well. So like I had reached out to like some smaller investors that I knew who might be interested in being like, Hey, we're going to do the syndicate. This would be a good way for you to put the money in. But like, we don't have to add, you know, 30 people to our cap table. We can do it under one entity. Um, so it's a good way for like smaller investors to get in. Um, like without having to do all that paperwork that we yeah. had as founders. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, oh, that we ended up doing like thir- another thirty three thousand or so through the syndicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, so like three hundred and thirty three thousand um, or something like that. Did you? Uh, you know, I'm sure you did consider at least. Did you consider um, pitching the Slack? Doesn't Slack actually have a venture fund? that is funding seeding things on their their platform did you approach those guys or or not yeah so we did talk to the slack fund um it's run by jason spinell um super sharp guy super helpful um i really like him um the thing with the slack fund is that they follow on institutional investors so the slack fund doesn't actually um set terms um they basically follow on uh, through other investors. So the way that that works is you have to get an institutional investor, set the terms, and then Slack will come in at the same terms. Gotcha. Um, and a syndicate and it doesn't count in their, in their book. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, at that point it really didn't. Um, I think at that point too, Jason wasn't even running the Slack fund. Like they had announced it, but they hadn't hired Jason yet. So mm. it kind of was this like limbo state too. Cause again, we were like, super, super early on yeah. Slack platform. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, they're, I think they are looking for companies that are venture backed by a reputable firm. Um, and like your goal is to build a big business and be connected to Slack. Um, that seems to be the, the case. Gotcha. Okay. Let's kind of come into more recent history. So you're, you started to raise again, but was it, uh, did you set out to actually raise like a proper seed round or were you just trying to raise this bridge to keep the thing afloat and you didn't want to raise more money? What's, uh, what's the, the latest? Yeah, good question. Um, so yeah, from the syndicate, we ended up raising another 600 K we were oversubscribed, but there was like probably three or four weeks between ending the syndicate to getting the next uh, checks in where like there was no activity. No one got back to me. I put together a whole list. Uh, we were actually using founder suite, um, to manage the, um, process, which is great because it stopped, uh, basically stopped my co-founder from constantly asking me for updates. He'd be like, what's going on? Just like, go check founder suite. Uh, so that was great. So we'd gone through like the list and pinged everyone and no one really got back to us. Um, so that was like a moment where I basically felt like we weren't going to get it done. Um, and you know, I, we had a conversation where I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. We're going to do, and we're like, Oh, maybe we'll just take the 350 and like keep it to just the two of us. I don't know. Um, but then we ended up raising another 950. Um, so then we used that to hire, um, 
well, first thing we did was like open up a bank account so that we could incorporate and open up a bank account because we weren't incorporated when we started raising. Oh, yeah. uh, wow. To put the money somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, like we hired a team, built out the product more, um, kept scaling our revenue um, and our customers, like learned a ton, iterated based off customer feedback, all that good stuff. Um, so then in July, probably March of this year, we had a plan to go raise like a proper seed round of like 1.5 to $2 million. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time we were about, we were probably at like 8K MRR or so when we started this. Um, and from like what I had seen for a seed round, you wanted to be like between, for SaaS at least, you wanted to be between like 8 and 20K. So we were on like the lower end there. Um, so we went back to all those firms that we talked to yeah. um, and we were like, Oh, we've made all this progress. Like we have customers, um, you know, that stuff, but we just couldn't get people excited enough about the space. Hmm. Um, there's incumbents in it. Um, there's, you know, people were asking like, Oh, well, how are you going to differentiate? Um, is there a billion dollar business here? You know, cause the VCs even at the seed stage want unicorns. Um, what if Slack builds this, you know, all those questions and we just couldn't get anyone over, over the hump to say yes. Um, so I probably, I went to, I worked on fundraising for probably like three or four months as more or less my full time job. And in the end of June, it became pretty clear that we weren't going to get this round done. And that with the current cash we had left in the bank, we only had money to the end of October. Yeah. So that was when I started making alternative plans. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So uh, that's that's uh, I've heard this story from many founders, and I think it's good ad- advice actually. When you know a round's not going to be coming together, you got to adjust course and right the ship, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. If you want to stay afloat. Yeah, um, I mean, like. I often find the best founders, um, you know, and hopefully I hope to be one of those someday, but, um, like really good founders are really risk averse, um, (laughs) which seems, uh, counterintuitive, but like you basically have a backup plan in case the plan that you're trying to do doesn't go wrong. And so for us, we had left like eight to six months to raise the round. I gave it three or it was pretty clear that we weren't going to get it done. So then we still had time to course correct with that backup plan that I had in place. Yeah, that's good. Time to course correct. I like that. Leave yourself time to course correct if the round doesn't come together. Always have a backup plan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, a lot of of founders wait too long. You know, very common mistake, right? You wait too long to start fundraising. And, you know, if you don't raise money in three months that you've allotted yourself the company's done so i like that you you left some time um yeah any so you know how are you thinking about raising money going forward do you think you're just going to try and kind of build a a cash flow positive business from here or do you think you'll try again a year from now to raise a a seed or maybe it's a series a what do you think are you so we did yeah yeah good good question um so during the the fundraising process which is actually really it's a good process to go through as a founder because it forces you to think about really hard topics that you might yeah. not think about and forces you to face the reality on a lot of things. Um, you know, cause VCs are smart and they see a ton of different 
companies and they can see patterns. Yeah. Instead of asking you all these questions for a reason and you need to come up with good answers. Um, so for us as a company, we did a lot of soul searching. I did a lot of thinking too personally around like, what do I want to do? And the type of culture that we have as a company is really built around product um, and like listening to our customers and trying to solve their problems. Like that comes first and foremost over anything else, like including revenue. Like re mm -hmm. revenue is basically a means to an end to allow us to operate indefinitely so we can keep solving our customers' problems. So I quickly realized that probably the way we were going to have to scale this thing because you know the b2b SaaS space is pretty competitive at this point was hiring a big sales team and hiring a bunch of bdrs to set up those cold email sequences um and basically do outbound mm -hmm. and i personally hate getting those i get like 12 to 15 outbound solicitations yeah. <laughs> a day and i get kind of me curious and i just was like i don't want to do this i don't want our company and our brand to be like an outbound sales machine and our other ethos is just like we believe that really simple well-designed products with good ux win over time it just takes a long time to do it so our product is very simple deliberately and every feature in there is in there for a reason and it's based off of customer needs but we tried inside sales and it was like oh well we need some more whiz bang features that we can sell that are like magical and we can get people to pay us bigger money and we're like yeah well we don't want to build those like yeah. no one's going to use them why are we going to build them um so just as like a mismatch of our founder dna and like what we wanted wanted to do so we decided like all right uh we couldn't raise the venture capital and we tried to do it and Probably one of the reasons was that we truly didn't want to raise venture capital in the first place. We wanted to build a business that's sustainable. Um, so let's just do that. So we decided to slash expenses, um, which I can go into too um, if you're curious, and then figure out how to drive revenue up as fast as possible and get to profitability, which we ultimately ended up doing. Do your, um, you know, just coming down to the end here, do your angel investors, you know, if, if you're kind of re retrenching in some ways, you're not going after the venture model, which is scale fast. You know, you're taking a longer term, slower approach. Do your angels give you pushback on that? Because most of the time, angels want to see things that can then get sold upstream to VCs and, you know, have that kind of ramp. Any pushback? Um, not from our investors personally. And we're really lucky to have amazing investors who just want to see us succeed and want to help us get there. Um, I mean, I think the thing to remember is that just because you're not going down the, put this in air quotes, traditional venture path, it doesn't mean you're not an ambitious founder. Like huge successful companies have been built without any funding. Like look at MailChimp or Atlassian, who we compete with, and, you know, even Basecamp on a smaller scale than those two. But those are huge companies that never raised any money. So, I mean, my mentality on this kind of stuff is like, you're probably going to end up in the same place, whether you, you know, uh, raise a small round and then fund off of revenue or you raise a bunch of venture capital, which is kind of like taking steroids. Uh, 
and get really <laughs> big really fast, but it's not sustainable. Yeah. Like once you get past a certain point, you have enough revenue, like that becomes your funding source and you can still build something really, really big. And up and if you haven't raised a lot of money, you've built up the right muscles over time on real strength as a team, like growth and acquisition and good habits around product. Yeah. Where at that point you're actually probably in a better shape to execute much uh, more leanly and operationally more excellent, uh, when like you've had that history of not like basically being venture funded. So that's yeah. my mentality on it. People seem to be on board with it. Uh, our investors are excited about us, uh, excited about it. And our team's excited about it too. We're, it's a different path, but it fits us as founders really well. Yeah, that's important. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we're coming to the end here. Any, um, Last words of advice you want to give founders, you know, launching, growing, raising capital, or what would you, what advice would you give yourself if you were going back and doing this all over again? You've, you've touched on a couple things, but anything, anything else? Oh, I have so much advice. I could not <laughs> pick just one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing to remember with fundraising is like, one, it's really hard. So if it's not going well, like, don't feel bad. Um, a lot of this stuff comes down to just luck and happenstance. Like our very first angel investor ever was Darmesh Shah in my first company. And I can trace that back to just happening, happening to ride up in an elevator with him one time hmm. uh, when we were going to the same talk that he was actually giving. Um, and that was lucky. Like, and then I capitalized on it and we built a relationship and he's funded both my companies. But like, that was luck. Um, so yeah, like don't get down, keep at it. It takes a lot of conversations. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing too is I think like fundraising, you know, raising money like isn't success. Um, like you can, you can get it. It's great, but it's kind of like the analogy I like to use is it's kind of like getting the ingredients for a meal. Uh, you know, no one, when a chef goes out and gets a bunch of ingredients. It's like, yeah, they got the salmon and the asparagus. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. they applaud them when they cook a great meal with those ingredients. And even once you have the ingredients, you can still burn them up. Um, mm. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's like get the money, get the ingredients you need, and then get back to work making progress and building your business and solving your customers' problems. It's um, interesting yeah, metaphor. Yes, I haven't heard that metaphor of, of fundraising like one of the ingredients in a, in a meal, but it totally makes sense. Um, awesome. Well, thank you, Andy. This is great. Um, good luck with Tetra. Any, uh, for people who want to just check you out, it's tetra.co or .com? Uh, we don't have the .com, so it's .co. It's T-E-T-T-R-A.co. Uh, Tetra2Ts.co. Um, Tetra. Yeah, and then the other thing, too, is if anyone has any questions they want to ask, uh, um, basically, uh, Andy G. Cook on all the social channels. And then my email is andy at tetra.co if anyone wants to reach out to me directly with questions too. Awesome. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me on, Nathan. Great to catch up. See you. You too. Bye.